Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome again. This is uh, week six, I think. And um, we're going to be looking at tonight, what, what must I do? Um, is our topic tonight. But let's, before we start, pray together. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to us tonight, that you'd open our eyes to see what it is you, you offer us, and you'd open our hearts up to respond to you. And that uh, we would recognize what you have to say, Lord, through this evening. Amen. Um, I was... When I became a Christian, or before I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was about 20, um, I remember a friend of mine who was a Christian taking me to, uh, it was a church event, and I think it was the first time I'd really gone to a church event that was um, really spelling out what it meant to become a Christian, and um, that it was, it was specifically put on for guests, right? And I, was, I didn't really want to go to this thing, but I, uh, I went because I didn't want him to know that I was scared of going. And I went, along, I went along, and it was a Billy Graham video link. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham, uh, American evangelist who's traveled the world? And I can't really remember what he said, but I remember at the end of it, uh, my heart was thumping because he'd, the things he'd talked about somewhere along the line had begin to, began to speak to me. But there was no way, if you know Billy Graham at um, his uh, meetings, they always invite people to come forward at the end. And there's no way I was going to go. I was on the back row up in the top gallery in this church. Um, and even though my, my heart was racing, um, and I knew there was something about it, there was just no way I was going to make a move on it. I was about 18 at the time. Um, because deep down, I was convinced that this Christianity thing would just completely wreck your life. It would ruin your life. It would ruin your street credibility. It would ruin everything. That is what I believed. But it was only when, a couple of years later, that I finally did become a Christian, finally did come and say, okay, I want to, to follow you, God, um, rather my own way, that I then discovered that I'd been believing a lie for all those years. Um, and that in actual fact, it was, it was one of the best things that has ever happened to me. Well, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But it's always harder to see the other side of the fence until you're, you're over it, if you like. <clears throat> and it's a very difficult thing to describe, often, the, the change that, that, that occurs in you. But your whole perspective um, on life changes. I remember as a child, we used to have a little black and white television um, that used to sit on the shelf. It was really tiny. <laughs> I, can't, I can't understand how we ever saw anything on it, to be honest. And uh, I remember my mum waking me up in when the, the, the first man on the moon, you know, she got me up in the middle of the night, dragged me downstairs to watch this historic event got my cold cup of cocoa, you know, and I fell asleep, I think. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I remember watching this little, and that was a bad enough picture anyway, because, you know, first television from the moon was pretty bad, and it was even worse on our little black and white set. And uh, when I was about seven or eight, um, they splashed out on a 26-inch color television, and this was, like, fantastic. And the whole family used to get around and start watching BBC Two. You never watched BBC Two, but I had all these nature programs on it, which in full color which is brilliant, you know, so we always used to watch these things. And uh, the difference from this little fuzzy black and white set to suddenly getting this huge, you know, state-of-the-art colour television and what you could see and Jack who's still under the water with all these fish and all these nice things. Um, it's a little bit like that, becoming a Christian. Your whole, you, it's like you get a whole new dimension um, when you look on life. Um, and that was my experience when I became a Christian. Just a completely different perspective on life. Things that, that had always been there, but I just suddenly saw them all in a different light. 
Someone's described it like, um, like this. Not realizing you needed a new pair of glasses. And then you try a new pair that give you perfect vision again. And suddenly you realize that what you were seeing wasn't what, there was far more to be seen than before. And then when you get them, um, you can see perfectly again. C.S. Lewis, uh, the writer who we saw earlier, described himself as the most reluctant convert in England. He went on to write the book Surprised by Joy because that was his experience of, of what, had, what had happened in his life. Because you find a new purpose, you find a new joy, you find a whole set of new attitudes, um, a new confidence in life, a whole new change of heart um, inside. And there's a, there's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis that just kind of wraps it up, and it's this. He said this, he said, I believe Christianity like the sun in the sky. Not only because I could see it, but because by its light, I could see everything else. So everything else began to make sense because of when, as he, as he became a Christian, as, when he became a Christian and began to look at life around him. And the New Testament says, the Bible tells us, that if anyone is in Christ, that is a Christian, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And, uh, and that is why there's such a difference um, in every part of our lives. So last week, Henry talked about um, uh, the cost, and, but also the great offer of God. Um, and it's described in the Bible as a banquet, putting on this amazing banquet and in inviting us to it, sending invitations to us all. And uh, we saw that to be part of what God has planned, then there needs to be some sort of response, some sort of reply, some sort of RSVP, um, on our behalf to the invitation and uh, tonight we're going to look at how how do we respond how do we say yes um, to that invitation how can I start to relate personally to God um, what must I do well I'm going to we're going to look at this over the next uh, few weeks but last week we really saw a little bit about the, the counting the cost the, the very beginning and this word repentance, which is all about um, changing our mind. It's like doing a U-turn. That's the first step that we take. Is, it's as if we've been, we're living life our way, and we turn around to start to, to face God, start to look at God's ways. Um, we change our mind about the way we've been living life and decide that that, that, is, that is not the right way to live life, but God's way is the right way to live life. Okay? Um, so it starts in our thinking, we change our mind. Okay, so it's a bit like driving down the road, you realize you're going the wrong way, and you, you, you know, handbrake turn, and you start to get up the other side of the, of the, the road. You do a U-turn. That's what repentance means. <coughs> so you start by, by changing your mind, changing the way you think, about right and wrong. Then it, it moves on to our words, where we start to confess to God, this is wrong. We actually say to God, what I've been doing is wrong and I want to follow you. And then it changes our actions as well. We, we start to put right some of the wrongs that are in our lives. The second part of that is, uh, is the faith part, okay? Believing in Jesus. And this is the key part. This is the most important part. Because if, if, we, don't, if we don't put our trust, if we don't put our belief in Jesus for our lives here, but also for our eternal life, Okay, then everything else loses its significance. Okay, none of the other bits make any sense 
without this bit. Um, it's a little bit like uh, I've compared this to, to getting married. Okay? And it's only by way of illustration uh, where you have you might have an, a time of engagement. Then on your wedding day, there's the marriage vows are said, where you say, I will. You make a commitment. Okay? There's the signing of the register and the consummation of the marriage. And in a sense, if you take the marriage vows out of that, then nothing else makes sense. Okay? Nothing else um, has its significance to the marriage without the marriage vows. And it's similar with this part, believing in, the, in Jesus. Take that out, then nothing else really has a significance, um, has any significance in the relationship. Okay, so it's the key part of everything. So believing in Jesus is crucial. And uh, because it is so, I want to unpack it a little bit. Um, and it's in, you'll find it in your manual, um, the different aspects to faith, different aspects to believing in Jesus. And the first of those is that it's based on historical facts. Okay? Believing in Jesus, faith, Christian faith, is based on historical facts. Some people will say to you, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it sincerely. Okay? Sincerity is what really matters. Now, if that is the case, then religion is just a placebo. A placebo is like, you got the, the doctors do treatments every now and again. They want to try a drug out, find out if it works or not. They give half the patients the real drug, and they give the other half the pa patients Smarties. Well, they look like the same thing, but they don't, they don't have any medication in them. And they find out whether the people who just have the Smarties feel better as well. And sometimes they do. Sometimes the people who just had Smarties feel better because they've thought they're getting some medication. And because they've believed it's going to make them better, then often they feel better. Okay, that's, that's a placebo. Okay? The fact that you believe it, therefore it has an effect. Okay? So it doesn't really do anything in itself, but if you believe it strongly enough, then your believing will make you feel better. That is not what Christian faith is based on. It's not just a psychological effect. People can believe things sincerely, but can be sincerely wrong. Sincerity isn't what, what actually counts. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, page 1155, um, the first book of Corinthians, and, verse, and chapter 15, and the first six verses. And uh, Paul is at strains here to tell people that it's, it's based on facts, that, uh, the, the Christian faith. And he says this to them. He says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So what he's reminding us here is of the historical facts that we've looked at on previous weeks, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he, there was a resurrection of the body of Jesus. Um, and then he appeared to people, 
over a space of days. So there was a historical person called Jesus. And it's upon this that our faith depends. Okay? So some people become Christians and they say, I don't feel any difference. Now, it's not necessarily about feeling different, certainly to begin with. It's about what you put your faith in. It's about what you put your trust in. And what you put your trust in is some facts that when Jesus died, he died so that we can be forgiven. Okay? Um, and that he's alive today, that he was resurrected, and that he's, he, he is actually alive. Okay. Historical events in the Bible are not only recorded, but they're also explained. So it's not just what happened, but also why it happened. Um, and we looked previously at, at the whole thing of why Jesus died on the cross. So to deal with sin in our lives, the pollution of it, um, the power of it, the penalty of it. All those sorts of things. So faith includes an acceptance, not only of the occurrence of something that Jesus died, but also the significance of it. And the significance of Jesus dying is that I can be forgiven. Not only do I believe, okay, this guy died, but I believe that because of it, I can be forgiven. I can be cleansed inside out. That I can be set free from the power that sin has on my life. That is the significance that it has. So first of all, it's based on facts. Secondly, Believing in Jesus is also personal. Not only can people be forgiven, but I can be forgiven. Okay, me, Andy, I can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed because of it. You can have the power of sin broken in your life because of it. So it's, it's more than just an intellectual acceptance that something happened. It's where you can say, well, I believe that that's true. Okay. That is not enough. It's to, to believe that it's true for me. Okay? That Jesus is not only the saviour of the world, okay, the one that's come to save the world, but that he's come to save me. He's my saviour. He's the one that's rescued me. Um, not just believing that he died and rose again, but believing in the Jesus who died and rose again. Having your confidence in him, not just the information about him. It's not about passing a test, okay? Knowing to answer the questions right. It's about knowing it for yourself in your own life. And that's what, what the Bible tells us, is that God wants us to know um, God for ourselves. He actually wants us to know him, not just know about him, know all the facts and figures. So that's the second part. It's faith is personal. Thirdly, believing in Jesus also means putting what is happening in our thinking um, and in our decisions into words. Uh, it's a verbal thing as well. You don't need to look this up, but Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if you confess with your <coughs> mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So it, it's not just what you say. What you say is not, it doesn't become magic words okay, that make you a Christian. But the, the words that come out that are motivated by our hearts um, are important. Um, it's a little bit like on a wedding, on a wedding service. And the ministers say to the two people, do you take this, uh, um, this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? That's right. I was at a wedding where they got it wrong. I was at this wedding not far from here. And uh, the, um, 
the minister, it was his first time, he was a curate in an Anglican church, and it was his first wedding, and he said to uh, um, the, this, um, this guy, John, he said, do you, John, take the, this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? <laughs> and John, not knowing what to do, he, says, um, he said, I will. <laughs> <laughs> then he turns to uh, um, Paula, and he says, Paula, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife and she she said no I don't <laughs> and he thought oh no I've got it wrong and the whole place just erupted anyway anyway the uh, <laughs> if you imagine the service and uh, and the people don't say anything they just kind of do you, do you take this uh, this woman to be a lovely wedded wife and he's he sort of in his heart he's saying yeah but you, you say more than that you, you express it you say I will so that they can hear, that everyone can hear, that you know you've said it, um, and, uh, and it, it's important to verbalize the things that are going on inside us. And, uh, and so we can do that by, by saying, I will to Jesus, by saying, I, I need your forgiveness, I want for your forgiveness, I ask for your forgiveness. I confess the things that are wrong, and I thank you that you've forgiven me because of what you've done on the cross, and I want you to lead my life from now on. And that's how we start. It's a little bit like a football team getting a new manager, a new football manager. And, uh, and you then want to follow, you ask them to come in so that they can take you on into, into the new things. So that you will follow, you will do what, what they want you to do. The fourth bit then is to believe in Jesus um, is also to be obedient to the faith. Okay, affects our actions. If I'm now believing in Jesus as my new uh, leader, my new manager, my new boss, whatever, um, the new leader in my life, then I express that faith by beginning to live the way he says. Okay, so he's, he's now, I've asked him to be in control of my life and I express that by now living out the way that I believe he wants me <coughs> to live out, which I basically discover from reading what is in here. So our faith must be put into action. So, for example, the number 50 bus outside takes you into the city centre. If you uh, stop the bus, you tell the driver, I believe you go to the city centre, and I want to go to the city centre, then you, you could stand there all day believing it, but you're not going to get there unless you get on. So you, you express your faith by actually stepping on the bus and going. Okay, that, that is how you express that faith. Otherwise, you'll just remain on the side of the, s the street forever and ever. And uh, in James chapter 2 and verse 20, he says this. He says, faith without works, faith without actions is dead. Okay, it's, it's, it has to affect our lives as we, as we live it out. In fact, in James, he also goes on to say that even the, the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe in God, he says, and they shudder. They understand what Jesus has done on the cross, and they believe it passionately because it's been the biggest blow to them there has ever been, um, spiritually. But they're not believers because they don't, they're still in rebellion against God. They haven't put their, that belief and started to follow um, the one that, uh, that has done it for them. So it has to be lived out as well. Part of accepting the truth of God is also acting out the truth, acting on that truth. But you've always got to remember that just simply doing good things, just trying to live a better life, doesn't save you. Okay, suddenly trying to do lots and lots of good things 
doesn't get rid of the guilt that we have. We, st- we have to be forgiven for the guilt that is in our lives. And that can only come by believing what Jesus has done on the cross can forgive us. And fifthly, uh, believing in Jesus is a continual thing. It goes on and on. Um, we're to go on believing in Jesus. And the words, the original words for, for faith in both the Greek and the Hebrew is the same word that's sometimes translated faithfulness. So to be full of faith is to be faithful. And it's very difficult to untangle the two words. And But faithfulness talks about, in our, in our language, we understand that much more of, of what you do, the fact that you're faithful in, in how you live. As full of faith, we tend to think of as something that is a bit hard to get, our, get a grasp on. So it's an ongoing thing. Right, I want to just uh, get an overview now of, uh, of everything that we've been, been looking at. And I want to use um, an illustration. We're going to go right back to the beginning where God has made us. Okay? God in his plan has designed human beings and he's designed us to be in relationship with himself. Okay, So there's us and there's God and uh, in perfect relationship. No fear, no, uh, not afraid of God in any sense, completely open to God, completely open by ourselves, not wanting to hide from him, but wanting to do everything he does. But then selfishness enters into humanity, um, which the Bible calls sin, and it, it acts like two c- cliffs separating us from God. Uh, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 verse 2 that, uh, that sin separates us from God, um, acts as a chasm. So we're, we're out of relationship with God, and we can't know God, and we're distant from God, um, and uh, we're in this predicament. And we also discover that there are consequences to sin, separating us from God. We've gone our own way, and we've rejected God's leadership. We make our own decisions, we live our own way. We find these self-inflicted separation leads to all sorts of consequences and the problems that we experience as human beings. Guilt, for example. Um, Futility in life. What is the point of life? Meaninglessness. Um, Many people feel feel fear of various sorts. It might be fear of the future. Um, It may be broken relationships that come our way. And these are some of the things that you may or may not experience but but are rife in our world around us. But there are some things that definitely come our way, things that are direct consequences, such as the fact that that death is something we don't look forward to um, because we don't know what will happen beyond. And actually the Bible says that when we die we will face God's judgment. They will actually give account of our lives um, before God when we die. And that there's this separation from God forever and ever um, because, of, because of the real guilt in our lives. So that's, that's the situation. Um, the parable that Jesus told um, about uh, two men who, who die. One of them goes to heaven and one of them finds himself in hell. And the one in hell, he's, he's just desperate for a, some, a drink of water. But there's, there's, no, there's no way he can get anything from heaven because the two are completely separate. And he says to God, he says, can I go back and at least warn my family about what it's like? And, uh, and the story goes on to say, well, it won't make any difference. Even if somebody comes back from the dead to tell them, people won't believe. And that's just a little story that, that Jesus told. But, but Jesus came back from the dead. 
Jesus came back and warns us, and yet so many people don't believe. So that's, that's the situation that we find ourselves in, which is, um, is quite hard. It's quite hard to talk about. It's quite hard to think about. And God as a holy God and as a just God could rightly leave us to, to suffer the consequences of our own rebellion um, and all of these things. But God's justice, okay, to bring right about, does not eliminate his overwhelming love that he has for us. And his love and his mercy stream through. And he offers us an alternative, okay, which is his original design. And instead of guilt, he, he offers us peace. Um, peace with God, peace with ourselves. He offers us forgiveness. Instead of futility and trying to work out what life's all about, he offers us real purpose in this life and also beyond. Instead of fear, there's the security of, of his love so that we needn't worry about anything, but we can trust him for everything. A loving community um, in which uh, we can be healed of uh, all the relationship um, hurts that, that we've had and through our lives. And instead of death being something to be dreaded, death actually becomes a doorway and entrance into life forever. And rather than face God's judgment on the day of judgment, we actually we find, we find God is a, is a father to us. He's a parent to us. He's one who will care for us, provide for us forevermore. And that is the alternative that he offers us. Now, obviously, the, on the left-hand side, there's no satisfaction there at all. Nobody would agree there was. Nobody wants any of those things. What we want are those things on the right-hand side. And some people try all sorts of ways to find these things on the right-hand side. Some people find, think religion will, will bring that to them. Even Christian religion, and I mean that in the sense of people who, uh, who just try to be good and go to church and, and that is it, but they don't have a personal relationship with God. It's just a, a religion. Rituals, ceremonies, somehow these things will either bring them to God or bring them some of these things into their lives. Um, being good, various philosophies. There's all sorts of New Age um, philosophies are right um, that will bring enlightenment, supposedly, that will bring satisfaction to your life. But none of these will ultimately succeed. Some of them may bring some of these things, but they're certainly not going to deal with um, what happens after we die. And they're certainly not going to bring um, God's parenthood and, and take us away from the judgment of God. And most of them will, will not only fleetingly answer some of the other questions. And the reason why none of them can succeed is because sin is still there. And it's sin that separates. Um, and so how do we deal with this sin? It's only if we can remove that can we deal with the problem. And so only God can save us because only God is outside of human nature, um, outside of human selfishness. And so God himself came and provided the bridge. And that's what the bridge looks like. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with the sin. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18 um, says this. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring us to God. Um, just put it in a different way. And so there's a crossing over, um, which is what we're looking at tonight. How do we respond? And uh, we can respond 
um, through these two steps, really. The first is, as we talked about, doing a U-turn in our lives, changing our minds about our own lives and choosing God's life. That's what repentance is all about. So we're in a position to cross over. We're facing the right way. And then secondly, we express faith in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He's our bridge. He died to make it possible. And so we ask him to forgive us for the things that are wrong in our lives. And we ask him, we put our trust in him as a rescuer, if you like. And then we ask him to lead our lives um, from here on. There was a, a, a Muslim de debater, a guy called Ahmed Didat, who was debating with a Christian um, guy. And uh, they, had, they had a whole town down in South Africa, I think, who did this particular one. And uh, I was listening to the tape of it, the two, the two sides of the arguments. And he was debating against Josh McDowell, who is a guy who was converted when, as a lawyer, he, went to, he looked into the evidence for Christianity to disprove it and finished up becoming a Christian. And at the end of these two debates, they always summarize, they make a little summary, it's a bit like being in a, the law courts, you know, when they come out with the final statements. And uh, Mr. Didat summarized his argument against, against Christianity by saying this. He said, Christians were wrong and were clearly being taken for a ride by the cross. And to this point, Mr. McDowell replies, he says, yes, Mr. Didat, you're right. Christians are being taken for a ride. The cross is like a chariot and it's there to take people for a ride all the way to heaven. And as you turn to God and believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you cross over from death to life. And uh, let's look at that in the Bible because it's important. Page 1069, John chapter 5 and verse 24. Page 1069, John chapter 5 and verse 24. <clears throat> and this is Jesus speaking. He says this. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not will, will get eternal life at some future date, but has it. It's a quality of life in the here and now that goes on through death um, and beyond. He says he will not be condemned. Rather than face God's judgment and be condemned on that day, we will not be condemned because it's been taken by Jesus. But rather we've crossed over <coughs> from death to life. And one of the great advantages of it being dependent on Jesus is this. I know we always want to be people who can earn it for ourselves. Say we got there because of something that we've done. But actually, we would never ever know if we've been good enough we'd never ever know if we've got there. But because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on what Jesus did on the cross. And I know that what he did was, sat, was, was um, sufficient in the eyes of his father because he raised him to life afterwards to prove it, to put his stamp, his seal upon it, that what has happened has achieved what he said it was going to do. Then I can put, I don't have to worry about how good I am in a sense. Um, or how bad I am, because I know it's not dependent on me, on what I do, but it's dependent on what he has already done, dying the perfect, living the perfect life, and giving up the perfect sacrifice in my place, so that I can cross over from death to life. I just want to finish with a, a few quotes of people who've um, kind of taken this step, because Christianity is not about rules, it's about a relationship. 
It's about a relationship with a wonderful God who makes the amazing offer that we heard of last week. And here's how three people have described it. I now have hope where previously there was only despair. I can forgive now where before there was only coldness. God is so alive for me that I can feel him guiding me and the complete and utter loneliness which I've been feeling is gone. God is filling a deep, deep void. Someone else, this is the start of a journey, but I've never started a journey happier and more confident. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that, uh, that you're at work um, in our lives and that we pray that you'd help us to respond um, from right down in our hearts to the things that you, you're talking to us as individuals about, Lord, that we'd be able to respond to your truth and recognize what is from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.